0: Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician, an adult and child holistic psychiatrist. In this podcast, I discuss cutting-edge research into the root causes of brain-related symptoms, alongside ancient understanding of health and well-being. From these left-brain and right-brain perspectives, I discuss interventions, tools, and mindsets that we can use not only to heal, but to thrive. In the last episode, I discussed the relationship between our brain, our immune system, and our stress hormone response. I talked about mast cells, which are immune cells in the body, microglial cells, which are immune cells in the brain, and a stress hormone from the brain called corticotropin releasing hormone. I discussed the life of Charles Darwin as an example of someone with chronic and acute inflammation resulting in a range of physical and brain-related symptoms. In this second of two episodes on inflammation, I'll discuss symptoms that can occur when mast cells destabilize, I'll talk about mast cell activation syndrome, and I'll talk about strategies and interventions for calming these mast cells down so that we can lower inflammation and lower secondary brain inflammation. After the last episode, someone kindly posted a quote by Darwin on YouTube, and it was as follows. I am forced to live very quietly and am able to see scarcely anybody and cannot even talk long with my nearest relations. So after Darwin had returned from that five-year voyage that I described in the previous podcast, He essentially became a recluse due to symptoms very fitting with what would be a panic disorder diagnosis. His episodes of severe anxiety were often accompanied by heart palpitations, shortness of breath, feelings of impending doom, hysterical crying, and severe nausea and vomiting. He also had episodes of depersonalization, and this is where you can feel that you're outside yourself. And because of these symptoms, he would dread leaving his home and would also likely be given the diagnosis of agoraphobia. Darwin was struggling with fatigue, both physical and mental, and also severe gastrointestinal symptoms and eczema. And though we don't know the triggers for Darwin's symptoms, We do know that he had described stress as being one of the triggers. And to remind you from the last episode, the way stress can trigger acute inflammation is through a stress hormone from the brain called corticotropin-releasing hormone that can be released when there's not enough cortisol being put out. And that hormone from the brain can trigger mast cells and microglial cells, which are immune cells in the brain. And the mast cells can themselves trigger the microglial cells in the brain. And so stress can be one trigger, but so can things like particular foods, especially alcohol, high histamine foods, or high carbohydrate foods, temperature extremes, airborne smells, and again, this would be for someone who, whose immune system is highly reactive, and that might be because of a genetic vulnerability, a biotoxin on board, such as mold toxicity, and or a history of trauma. So again, specific food or drinks, temperatures, airborne smells, um, exercise or exertion can trigger mast cells, hormonal changes especially during adolescence, pregnancy, and women's menstrual cycles, electromagnetic fields such as from cell phones, Wi-Fi, smart devices, and more, and excessive histamine states. Think of these mast cells as being on high alert, ready to react, and it not taking much to trigger them for someone who is in the throes of what we would call mast cell activation. So as you'll hear, there are many symptoms related to mast cells being activated. And while triggers can vary from person to person, so can symptoms. Triggers and symptoms can be unpredictable and vary from episode to episode. And this can be quite confusing for both an individual struggling with mast cell activation, but also for their doctor's. The importance of recognizing the symptoms in the body, however, can help someone understand that their brain-related symptoms are also coming from inflammation. Often these symptoms are occurring at the same time. Or simply having these symptoms lets someone know that they are dealing with inflammation. For example, if someone was having a racing heart and they were feeling anxious, They might think they were having a racing heart because they felt anxious, and while that may be true, it could also be likely that the anxiety and the racing heart were coming from the same source of inflammation. I'll go system by system through the body, and you'll see how pervasive and seemingly unrelated these symptoms can be, however they can all be very related when we think about mast cell activation. So fatigue is very common. Appetite swings, including excessive appetite, after one starts to eat. So someone may not be hungry, they may eat, that can trigger those mast cells in the gastrointestinal tract, which release the inflammatory mediators, and then triggers an inflammatory response. And there are certainly ways to help dampen that, Episodes of low body temperature, and then temperature sensitivity, so either to high temperature or low temperature. A person may have a sense of being cold all the time. They may have difficulty exercising. They may also have difficulty with anesthesia. So along these lines of high immune reactivity could be enlarged lymph nodes, sensitivity to electromagnetic fields, Sensitivity to weather changes or drops in barometric pressure. Sensitivity to medications, supplements, or reacting to certain food or drinks. Chemical intolerances. So if someone starts to have some symptoms when they go into a store that has a lot of off-gassing, or if they're around someone with perfume, there can be odd or exaggerated reactions to insect bites. And for some, there can be anaphylactic reactions. As far as the eyes, there can be a sensitivity to sunlight or bright light. There can be blurred vision, dry eyes, eye pain, or conjunctivitis or what looks like bloodshot eyes. Hearing, there can be hearing loss, intermittent ringing in the ears. With the nose, there can be nasal congestion, sinus infections. There can also be nosebleeds. With the mouth, there can be mouth sores, respiratory system, cough, wheezing, shortness of breath, cardiovascular system. There can be chest pain, sudden drops in blood pressure, racing heart, and I'll mention here, too, there is a high association between mast cell activation and POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. As far as the genital and urinary system. There can be frequent urination, painful urination, bladder and kidney pain. For the skin, and again, to remind you, mast cells are throughout the body. However, they're especially concentrated in the gastrointestinal tract, in the skin, in the bladder, and in the respiratory tract. So with skin, we might see rashes, itching, Skin lesions or sores, spots, redness, hives, flushing, skin can feel on fire, there can be severe sweating, swelling and inflammation, and easy bruising. And I'm going to go back because I'm realizing I skipped over the gastrointestinal symptoms, which are particularly important. So they could be nausea and vomiting, difficulty swallowing or throat tightness, diarrhea or constipation gastrointestinal pain or discomfort, bloating and gas or irritable bowel syndrome, liver pain and spleen pain. There can be a number of musculoskeletal symptoms as well. And as I mentioned, POTS and mast cell activation know that the third of this triad can be hypermobility. So Being double-jointed, particularly flexible, or for some, even having Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, there is a high association with mast cell activation. So having hypermobility within one's family can be a red flag for mast cell activation. And this is something I'll talk about in a future podcast episode. One could have joint pain, bone pain, and muscle pain. Uh, From a neurologic standpoint, headaches, migraines, dizziness, lightheadedness, fainting, vertigo or problems with balance, unexplained weakness or what I call jelly legs, difficulty walking, numbness and tingling in the face and extremities, nerve pain, persistent body or tissue pain. Other signs that may be less acute but are nonetheless related are anemia, B12 deficiency, thyroid problems, enlarged liver or spleen, hair loss, osteoporosis, and osteopenia, including in young individuals. And last but certainly not least would be psychiatric symptoms. And this can be intense anxiety or panic attacks, depression, mood swings, agitation or anger, severe fatigue, insomnia, brain fog, problems with memory and other cognitive issues, and suicidal ideation or suicidal thinking. So Darwin was having an exaggerated immune response and he was having panic attacks. From a conventional model, these are thought of as very different phenomenon. One being very physiologic and one being very psychologic. However, if you consider the similarities between an anaphylactic reaction and a panic attack, you'll see that there's striking similarities. Anaphylaxis is a mast cell mediated allergic response that occurs within minutes, even up to 30 minutes after exposure to an allergen, an example being a peanut. Symptoms include hives, itching flushing or pale skin, low blood pressure, constriction of your airways, and a swollen tongue or throat, which can cause wheezing and trouble breathing. There can be a weak and rapid pulse, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, dizziness, or fainting. Panic attacks are considered to be triggered by certain situations, and again, they also come on suddenly. Symptoms include shortness of breath, dizziness, nausea, and or abdominal cramping, racing heart, chills or hot flashes, sweating, headache, tingling sensation of the skin, derealization, chest pain, tunnel vision, agitation, or aggression. So yes, while a peanut allergy in one person can trigger anaphylaxis, an emotional trigger for example, a sensation associated with a traumatic event or an an upsetting thought, can trigger mast cell activation and thus a panic attack. Despite the classic understanding of panic, it is very likely that some people having panic attacks are actually reacting to other mast cell triggers, whether it's something they ate or an environmental exposure such as mold toxins in their environment, and or high EMF exposure, or even high allergens. And none of this is to discount the psychologic or emotional triggers that can result in the same inflammatory response. I'd like to share something I wrote about mast cell activation from a day-to-day experience This was based on my own experience, many people that I have seen, and I would suspect much of this would also apply to Darwin. If you have mast cell activation, you have strange symptoms, and or you have a lot of symptoms that by themselves would not be of concern. You may just think it's bad luck. Either way, you can't put your finger on the problem, and neither can the psychiatrist, the dermatologist, the neurologist. The ENT, the pulmonologist, the cardiologist, the urologist, the gynecologist, the allergist, or the ophthalmologist each look at just one part of the body. Without answers, you may conclude that in some way you are the problem. It must be anxiety or psychologic issues at play. After all, you seem anxious and depressed, and likely you are, and not just because you're physically sick or because you're demoralized by the medical system, but also because your brain is inflamed, like other parts of your body. You eventually decide seeking physician's help causes more harm than good. The fatigue leaves you moving through sludge. The brain fog keeps you from being able to organize your thoughts enough to solve problems or to make plans. If you even recognize that there are triggers you become seduced by the seeming level of control. Just when you think you've identified and removed the trigger, the rug is pulled out from under you. You're hit again with what feels like the flu, headaches, body aches, depressed mood, fatigue, inattention, and whatever mast cell symptoms plague you. Only after the fog clears are you able to wonder about triggers. When you're not blaming yourself for your symptoms, you're trying to figure out what else you could avoid And do to prevent them. You become consumed with your health. Not because you're a hypochondriac, but because your limbic system, the part of the brain that senses threat, is sensing a problem, a danger, and you're trying desperately to figure it out. And because toxicity is not something that we're thinking about triggering our limbic system, this isn't on our radar Your body is not only defying you, it's triggering you. With every unusual symptom comes a reminder that things aren't right. Your mind looks for answers and lands on extremes, and those extremes being what we can find in our conventional medical model. You may worry that you have a yet-to-be-diagnosed neurologic condition that is not advanced enough to show up on test. You think you're worried because of the symptoms. If the symptoms were gone, your worries and fear would be gone too. It never occurs to you that the anxiety might be just another symptom. It could be coming from the same source as the palpitations or the itching. One isn't necessary or only leading to the other. How can you be reactive to so many things? When did you become the person who can't harness enough energy or interest to stay connected with work, friends, or even easily engage with those you love? When did you become one who has so many abilities, but no fuel, no motivation, and at times not even an ability to care? The sick irony is you don't look sick. You look normal. You don't even have a diagnosis to tell people. You may feel alone even with those you love. And after being knocked down figuratively and literally so many times, you're afraid to feel hopeful. Will things ever change? You hope they will, but all the paths, the doctor's appointments, the environmental avoidance, the dietary restrictions you've taken have only led to shame, isolation, and further suffering. If you've had mast cell activation and or brain inflammation, you have likely said to yourself, I don't want to live like this anymore, when you were in the throes of a mast cell activation episode, and then perhaps two to three days later, you were fine. I have no doubt that there are many individuals, if not most, who have taken their lives never knowing that at the root of their suffering was a dysregulated immune system And at that moment of their deepest despair, their mast cells and microglial cells were causing their brain to be inflamed. They simply could not imagine that their acute despair would pass with the subsiding of the episode or that this type of inflammation can be treated. Education in this regard alone can save lives. I mentioned previously that Darwin likely had mast cell activation syndrome, which essentially is a condition that causes mast cells to release an inappropriate amount of these inflammatory mediators into the body. Finding that one meets criteria, however, for a diagnosis of mast cell activation doesn't answer why someone is having this in the first place. And so that becomes an important part of evaluation and treatment is understanding the why. So there is detailed, complicated, and I would say not terribly reliable testing for mast cell activation. And I say complicated because someone needs to be in the midst of an episode when some of these tests are done And some of the tests require immediate processing in a lab, many of which are not readily available uh, for this type of testing. So transportation becomes an issue as well. So in my own clinical practice, I rely more on in-depth questionnaire, a thorough history, and a response to treatment as my guide. And I also think of mast cell activation as being on a spectrum While some people might be impacted and it would give direction as to what could be helpful for their treatment, they may not meet full criteria for having mast cell activation syndrome in the strictest sense. Some of the tools that I use include a detailed family history. Usually there will be evidence of mast cell activation symptoms within the family. Fitting with the diagnosis of RCCX theory, which I mentioned in a prior episode, joint hypermobility, so being flexible, double jointed in oneself or in one's family is a red flag for mast cell activation. One of the most important parts of my own evaluation is a very detailed history of symptoms involving all of the systems, not necessarily just brain symptoms. A very deep timeline is helpful. So listening for everything from early attachment disruption, emotional, physical, or what we even call complex trauma, including head trauma, environmental and or toxic exposures, and evidence of infections, be it Lyme, parasites, Lyme co-infections such as Bartonella, Babesia, Environmental history, because there is such a strong association with mold toxicity and with EMF sensitivity, a detailed environmental history is important. So understanding what environments the person has lived in, where they've worked, if there's been evidence of water damage, and what the overall wireless technology that they've been exposed to has been. And then inquiring about triggers, if known. So not everyone knows what their triggers are. They may be hit so regularly with symptoms they hadn't considered that there might be triggers. When it comes to treatment, the first point I would make is education. And though this is extremely important, know that it's also a double-edged sword, On one hand, the education helps the person step outside their symptoms and watch what is going on. They can realize that inflammation, especially acute inflammation, will pass and that treatment can help to lessen their symptoms. And this can be occurring while we're identifying what the source of inflammation is in the first place. On the other hand, learning that one's symptoms may be due to certain triggers such as food, weather changes, environmental issues, can lead to a level of vigilance that is problematic in itself and can be triggering to that limbic system. So this requires a balance of education with strategies to lower the physiologic stress response and also recognition that thinking about such things as triggers and Treatment and such needs to be compartmentalized so that it's not taking over someone's entire day. We can put part of our learning and education and treatment in a box and not have it permeate our entire lives. Still, knowing what the triggers are, and especially in the earlier part of treatment, avoiding the known triggers and this could be the triggers for that specific person. It might be that they're triggered by hot baths, or lack of sleep, or overeating, or being in big box stores and walking down the detergent aisle. Or it could be being in the presence of a narcissistic family member or friend. Or it could be spending a lot of time on the computer where they may be getting high EMF exposure, especially if they're using wireless. Then we can aim to stabilize the mast cells so they're not releasing all those mediators. And there are a number of interventions that can be helpful, but the highest priority I would say, and this is something I'm going to go into more detail in the next episode, is to lower our physiologic stress response. And there are a number of strategies to do this. And it doesn't matter if we are having mast cell activation from trauma, from early attachment disruption, from a highly stressful life situation, or mold toxicity, EMF sensitivity. Lowering mast cell activation through lowering this stress response can benefit anyone. So I'll spend more time on those in the next episode, and again, I would say this is the highest priority. However, there are some tools from a supplement standpoint that can stabilize mast cells to a point, point. and I'm not recommending this as treatment. None of these podcasts are intended to be treatment. I would say if you are looking to address mast cell activation using supplements to certainly work with a practitioner. There are a number of tools. We often will layer the tools on as necessary. Two of my favorites, one is quercetin and it can be taken with or without bromelain. If it's taken 30 minutes before meals, it can even stabilize those mast cells in the GI tract so that eating itself isn't triggering those mast cells, which can occur for some people with mast cell activation. NeuroProtec is a mast cell stabilizer that we will use in children and adults who are particularly sensitive. CBD oil, which has been shown to be helpful with depression, sleep, anxiety, and pain, also has mast cell stabilizing effects and is likely part of why it is impactful in those areas. There are other Natural supplements such as Mast Ease by a company called Beyond Balance, Paramine, All Clear. Medications include Catodiphon and Chromalin Sodium. If we could completely stabilize mast cells, then we wouldn't need antihistamines, but often we do both a mast cell stabilizer, and an antihistamine to provide as much relief as possible, especially early in treatment as we're trying to get to the roots of the mast cell activation. Histamine, again, is just one of the mediators that the mast cells release, but it's one that can further trigger mast cell activation. So it can cause a lot of well-known symptoms. Histamine can cause skin issues, upper respiratory allergies, but it can also cause brain fog, fatigue, and depression, especially for those who are under-methylated, which I've talked about before. And when we are under-methylated, we don't break down histamine particularly well. So antihistamines block H1 receptors, and while many people with simple seasonal allergies can benefit from one 24-hour antihistamine, often those who have mast cell activation can benefit from one twice a day and on rare occasions even one three times a day. And surprisingly for many, this can help with brain fog, fatigue, and even addictive-type behaviors that histamine can appear to drive. This has been a good tool to use initially again while identifying and addressing root causes. Some practitioners will use H2 blockers, so these would be things like Zantac and Pepsid, which are marketed to decrease stomach acid, though they also can have uh, neuropsychiatric benefits for some individuals. The reason that I don't find... It, useful in my practice is because so often I will see individuals that have candida or yeast overgrowth often occurring in conjunction with mold toxicity, but lowering the stomach acid is not beneficial in this regard and appears to worsen those problems. Aside from stabilizing mast cells and blocking histamine receptors, we can also remove sources of inflammation and histamine. So this could be addressing allergens in the environment, so air purification, allergy covers on pillow or, and mattress. It can be addressing water damage. If someone has mold toxicity and is in a water damaged space and being exposed to mold, then that could trigger immune reactivity. High EMF exposure can trigger mast cells. So addressing as many of those exposures as is possible and practical. Anti-inflammatory diet can be helpful, as can be lowering histamine in one's diet. So sugar is inflammatory, really for everyone, for a number of reasons. Gluten and casein, most people with brain-related symptoms can benefit from taking these out of their diet Any other known food that one is reacting to, considering that, would certainly be helpful. There are foods that are especially high in histamine, and some people, not all, but some people will feel better lowering these foods and or taking DAO, diamine oxidase supplement, which will break down histamine in the gastrointestinal tract. And this is something taken prior to having... A high histamine meal. So foods that would be high in histamine can be fermented products. So wine, alcohol, vinegars, yogurt, kombucha, soy sauce, leftovers, or especially high beef because it goes through an aging process is going to be higher in histamine than chicken. And this would be, you know, relative to fresh chicken, for example avocado, cinnamon, citrus and tomato products are also high in histamine. Next would be to address toxicity and in my experience mold toxicity because of the way it in, it will disrupt the immune system, I find it to be the most common cause of mast cell activation in my practice. Addressing digestion and the microbiome becomes very important. Undigested food in the lower digestive tract can be a source of fermentation, toxicity, and inflammation. Some individuals can benefit from support with digestive enzymes and a supplement called betaine HCL. Addressing parasites, candida, mold, toxicity and colonization if present and this could be the sinuses and or gastrointestinal tract this would be important in calming those mast cells down addressing one's nutrient status and I've talked previously about copper overload methylation imbalances pyrrole disorders so I won't focus on that here but know that rarely does someone have mast cell activation or nutrient imbalances in isolation. There's a great deal of overlap between mast cell activation and pyral disorder and undermethylation. If you look closely at pyral symptoms, you'll see that most are similar to those of mast cell activation and connective tissue symptoms. Our understanding of pyral disorder comes out of the nutrient perspective. And the understanding of mast cell activation comes out of the immune perspective, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these are separate phenomena. As for methylation, we need methylation to break down histamine. So, if you are under methylated and thus have difficulty breaking down histamine, and then periodically you're slammed with histamine because of mast cell activation, then you would likely be more symptomatic than someone else who is not under-methylated. And last but certainly not least would be addressing the stress response. And it can be easy to hope that supplements and medication would do all the work and to not take seriously this idea of lowering stress in our lives and training our body and physiology into a more calm and less reactive state. On the other side of all these health issues, most people find that they have disassembled and rebuilt their lives in ways they never would have but for becoming sick. Self-care becomes a priority along with attention to diet, sleep, and exercise. And when I say exercise, that's exercise is tolerated. Many people can certainly push it and easily trigger mass cell activation. Healthy relationships with appropriate boundaries becomes the new standard. Work that might have once been stressful and mostly ego-promoting is often replaced by work that is more satisfying and meaningful. So in the next episode, I'll talk about ways we can lower our physiologic stress response as a means to stabilize mast cells, but also calm our autonomic nervous system and lower our limbic system reactivity. This could be beneficial for someone who has full mast cell activation syndrome, for someone who's dealing with a lesser degree of mast cell activation, and for anyone living in these modern times as we're all dealing with physiologic stress and psychologic stress. So the tools and practices that I'll be mentioning will include those that we can use in the moment to lower our stress response, but also daily practices that we might consider that can train our physiology so that it is in a less reactive state. To be notified of upcoming episodes, please consider subscribing at CourtneySnyderMD.com, where I also have blog posts related to the root causes of brain-related symptoms. If you'd like to help me get this information out into the world, please consider liking, sharing, or commenting on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. I look forward to connecting with you in a future podcast. Until then, take care.